The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Amen. Thank you, team. I appreciate that. I almost feel like I don't need to preach now, man. Did you guys sing that? Did you hear what that was about? Woo! Come on now. That was a good sermon, that last worship song right there. That was good stuff. Amen. Man, I already thought I was stoked about today. We're in trouble now. Hallelujah. We're going to be here a minute. Okay. Uh, I'm Pastor Vince. I do most of the Bible teaching around here, and that's what we're going to do today. So if you would, please turn uh, to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. While you're turning there, uh, I want to just remind everyone, we have a members meeting directly after the service next week. So who's that for? That's for people who are members, are in the membership process, or you're a regular attender and you're interested in becoming a member. We're opening this one up a little wider as we do some uh, looking at, at just future things going on here that pertain to the family. So that's next week. Uh, the goal will be that uh, I preach just a scotch shorter than normal so that uh, we can still let the kids be down in uh, kids' discipleship and, and have the meeting and get out about around the same time we normally would. Okay? So that's, that's the plan. Um, and that is next week. Amen. All right. I don't think I have anything else I need to tell you. No. So are you guys, you turn to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20? Is that what you're working on? Okay. Amen. So in June of 2017, I preached this text uh, as part of our Miracle Sermon Series. So if you want kind of a a little bit more technical treatment of the text and and the subject of demons in particular, I would refer you to that. So that was uh, June of 2017. I think that was in our Miracle Sermon Series. I want to say the title was uh, He Vanquished Demons. So you can check that out if uh, you want to. That will, and, and that's the thing, like, you guys all know, I think, and understand, you, anytime we approach a text, especially one as saturated as this 20 verses, you can't say everything that can be said, right? So um, there, there you go. Uh, that one would be a good compliment to this, or vice versa. So tonight, we're going to take a little bit different approach than we did the last time. We're going to look at three pushes and three prayers we see in this account. Three pushes and three prayers. Okay, so I want to read Mark. I gave you guys all that time to find it, and I didn't even start, so pretty good. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. The good thing is I have my trusty ribbon here, so it didn't take long. Okay, so let's read that together. It says, uh, They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, "'What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me.' For he'd been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. Jesus, they're asking to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him go, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. 
Praise God for his word. I'm amazed. I wasn't even there to see it. I'm just reading it. I'm amazed about it. Uh, quick, just work backwards here in case you're not familiar. Decapolis was a grouping of 10 cities on this side of the Sea of Galilee. It was primarily Gentile uh, cities. Lots of trade going on. Um, it would be pretty, pretty strategic from, from an evangelistic standpoint. Uh, but I, I don't know. Of course, that all works together in God's great, great plan. But uh, it seems Jesus' main focus here. And, and remember, he just, what they just went through to get to this side of the lake. Remember that Jesus, we talked about it last week, knew that that, that big storm was going to come up and, and rip and do everything it did. Uh, they, they, they went through all that, fought through that fight to come and to be in the same spot as this guy among the tombs. Uh, real quick, uh, I, I believe I mentioned this the last time. I just, I just like to point these things out because there's, there's people that w- can you know, miss the forest for the trees. So there, there are other accounts of this same uh, encounter and in those, in both Matthew and Luke, it talks about there being two guys, and Mark only talks about one. In either case, you go to those other ones, there's, there is a focus in on this one that responded, the, the man that responded that there was a legion of demons within him, which, you know, there's debate on what that actually means. Uh, a legion of Roman soldiers was 6,000. Most scholars that I've read don't think that that means this guy actually had 6,000 demons, it just means there was a lot. They were well organized and they were ready for a fight. Um, but that's, that's, the point is the fact that Mark just focused in on the one guy and didn't, he didn't say there weren't more there among the tombs. He just, Jesus had this bigger interaction with this one. And so that's what Mark records here. Okay. Um, remembering that the source material for Mark probably came from Peter. And so this this just may have been what, what Peter keyed into when it came to this experience. Okay, so what are the three pushes or forces at work we see upon uh, these men or this man? Uh, they're, they're Satan, society, and, and the Savior. And so the first is Satan, and that's, you know, we just need to call a spade a spade here and say there is no question that demons are at work here. Okay, but when we, when we say that, especially to our modern ears, um, we, we, whenever we're talking about demons, we need to remember. I, I think it's very important we remember the, the wise words that C.S. Lewis said on the subject, is that we can, we can make two opposite errors when it comes to the subject of the demonic. Uh, we can either deny that they exist, or we can blame them for everything. And I've seen that happen both ways. I have seen demonic activity firsthand uh, many times. One particular instance that comes to mind most vibrantly is uh, it was, if not the very first, one of the first times I ever did um, a homeless outreach. There was an area down in Cincinnati. It was under a couple of bridges. And there was a large encampment there. And there was a guy there. And his name was Brian. And uh, Brian was an interesting cat all the time, but uh, on this particular night, we were down there, and uh, this this other guy came across from the railroad tracks, was throwing beer bottles at Brian, and he kept coming closer and was kind of cussing him and this and that, and and me and some folks from the team, and, and there's, if, if you... And if you need verification for this story, there's, there's people here today that saw this happen too. So I'm not making one bit of this up. I know preachers embellish sometimes, but I try not to, you know, since I'm supposed to be like preaching God's word. So, you know, uh, try not to lie about stuff. But so this dude's throwing these bottles at him and this guy's getting angry and angry and, and he gets close enough, not to where I would have thought a human could attack another human, but he got within a certain distance. I don't know. 10 feet maybe, and I saw this dude, like, I saw, I saw his face contort, and, I, and he literally jumped like an animal and cleared that distance in one bound and was just on, the, and this guy, was, he was not young, he was maybe, I don't know, mid, low to mid-40s, living a hard life, so sometimes it's hard to tell, but he was on this guy, like, in, in just an instant, he moved in a way I've never seen a human move and was just, was on top of him and was beating him to death within seconds. I mean, he was punching him so hard and so fast, I thought for sure he was going to kill him. And so me and a couple other guys got in the mix. One of those guys is here right now looking at me. So if you want to know, I'll, I'll give you his name. You can talk to him. This really happened. So we yanked this dude. It took everything we had to separate the guys. 
And I'm just praying. This is my first time ever doing a homeless outreach, okay? So I'm just like, the, my prayer probably consisted of, God help me, <laughs> you know, like, oh man, this is bad. And so we got him separated and got the other guy out of there, and then it seemed to calm the thing down. And, and I'm, that's, that's just one. I, I've, many times out on the streets, I've encountered what I would say was clearly demonic activity, and, and not just in times in my childhood and others, la da da. We don't have time for all my stories, but that. Then I, then I got in the truck after that whole thing and turned on my dome light. My hands were covered in blood, so that was pretty, pretty rad. Uh, another, another God help me moment, but he has, and uh, we're still out there doing outreach, so praise the Lord for that. I thank God for his sustaining grace. But the, so I, I've seen that. I've seen real deal demonic activity, I believe. On the other side, I've seen people jump real quick to attribute things to demons that I really don't think it does. Uh, actually, we were in that same spot. It was a different night. I was with another outreach team, and they pulled their bus down there, and so we got out, we did all the ministry and stuff that we were doing, prayed for people, and fed folks, and all that, and, and we get back on the bus, and uh, goes to turn, turn the bus over, and, and the guy that was driving it, you know, it, so it wasn't, the bus wasn't starting. And so he tries a couple times, and instantly this dude starts jumping into, he's like casting demons out of the motor. You know, uh, I'm not exaggerating. Like, like really went straight to the problem with the bus was demons. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if, I don't have a good theological framework for making a judgment on whether demons can mess up your motor. But I, that wasn't the problem, man. Like something happened to the bus, right? So I'm kind of trying to like, hey, man, what if we pop the hood? I mean, let's pray, but let's also pop the hood and see if there's a loose wire or, you know, I don't know anything. And that's just an example, right? I've, I've heard many times and in many ways people, you know, they'll jump to it's demon's fault or the devil's fault when sometimes it's their fault, it's they fault. Can I get an Amen. You know what I mean? Um, so that happens, right? So there's, there's a, I'm just saying there's two opposite errors, and, and either one is a reality, man. People really are there. And I want you to kind of judge yourself, which one are you most prone to? Is to just deny their existence whatsoever? Never come into a situation where I think maybe the demonic is a part of what's happening here? Am I on that edge? Or am I more likely to you know, think a demon is, is doing every bad thing in the world that happens, including my bad choices, right? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. So that's, that's important, but what we need to see here is the Bible makes no bones about it. Demons were involved in this situation. The reason this man was running around the tombs naked all the time, cutting himself and screaming like a banshee was not just because he had a mental illness, which it, that is real too, yes, right? This guy was overcome with a legion of demons, possessed. Okay, that's what was going on here. And that's, it's important for us to say that, I think, especially in this day and age. Because, I don't, look, I, I don't know. I don't have good data on which is more likely in 2020 in our context. Somebody to attribute too much to the demonic or just to kind of deny that they exist. And, but I don't, I don't think most of us, if asked, would deny that they exist. But functionally, when we encounter a situation and something's going on, the way we think about it, I think does end up maybe leaning us towards the, the reality that, that most of us end up in that ditch. That we, we got other natural explanations oftentimes uh, and, and we rule out the possibility of the demonic almost immediately because you know, we, we know about psychology now. Right? And, and that's, there's, you guys know who Hannibal Lecter is? From Silence of the Lambs. Freaky. I don't even know if I've ever actually seen it. I, I heard this quote somewhere else. Uh, I probably, I mean, it was a big enough deal in, in the culture, I probably should watch it. But uh, if it's real bad or there's stuff in there, I'm not promoting that you go watch it, okay? I'm not, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it. But I understand the storyline and I understand what's going on. And, and this, is, this is a quote from Hannibal Lecter. And I think, I think it kind of keys into where we, where we end up. So he's talking to this detective, um, Detective Starling, or Officer Starling, who kind of, they, I guess they've done this, this cat and mouse dance or whatever, but here's what he says to her. He says, nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. 
Officer Starling, you've got everybody in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me, Officer Starling. Can you stand to say that I'm evil? See, that's our problem. Oftentimes, is we want to explain away the reality that there's good and evil in the world. There is evil in the world. It's not all just a set of circumstances or behaviorism. Sometimes things happen because of evil in the world. Uh, and that is not as palatable as breaking everything down into certain societal influences or a difficult childhood or whatever because what that does, if, if, we, can, if we reduce everything down to, you know, it's, it's somebody's influences, it's their environment, pick, pick whatever that is, what that does is that puts the ball back in our court as humans and if we can just find the problem, then we can apply the right solution and we can fix it. The problem here is, if Jesus would have, you know, popped up and started asking this guy about his childhood, he wouldn't have got anywhere because he had a legion of demons, evil demons that were real, that needed to be dealt with, okay? The second, so Satan is clearly a push. He's a presence in this situation. He's, he's a force at work upon this man. The second is society. And so what was society's answer? right? Society, the, the, the townspeople and, and those in the Decapolis around, it doesn't really say which of the 10 cities he was from, but he's from that area. What, what did they do with him? Well, first they tried to bind him, right? It says multiple times he was bound with chains, but these, this demonic presence within him gave him a supernatural strength to be able to break chains. That's what I'm saying. You know, I know that's hard to believe, but it's real. <laughs> I've seen it. It's crazy. And I mean, don't take my, my, my word or my anecdotal experience has, you know, a million percent less authority than the scriptures. I'm just saying, you, if you know me, you know a guy who's put his eyes on something like this happening. So, okay, for whatever that's worth. So they, what do they do? They try to bind him. They try to put him in chains. That doesn't work. And so it ends up that by the time it's all said and done, this guy and, and his companion are pushed out into a place where no one else wants to be. They're among the tombs, which would, is another reason they would have been considered unclean, right? Because the, some of the laws, ceremonial laws, especially if there was a Jewish influence here, would have been that you don't touch dead bodies, you're not around dead bodies. If you do touch a dead body, you're unclean. That's not a place people wanted to be, Okay. So that's, that's where this guy ended up. What is that? It could be, now he's isolated, pushed away from everyone else. So society's answer was, let's lock him up. That didn't work, right? So then what happens? So then they push him out to where he's isolated and away from them where they don't have to deal with the problem. Our society deals with troubled people in a very similar way, oftentimes. And it fails oftentimes. And I'm not saying that every single person that has had this push placed upon them, either to try to lock them up or just push them to the outer fringes away from everyone else where we don't have to see them or smell them or deal with them. Uh, I'm not saying that every single time that is demonic. Sometimes probably that's an element of what's going on. But there's also people just struggling with mental illness. There are people struggling with the results of, of difficult environments. They, there, there are sociological factors at play. But it, it's just interesting that people's answer for problem people doesn't seem to change much over time. Let's lock them up or let's push them out. Just get them away from us. Well, what did Jesus do? Rolled right up to them. <laughs> Wasn't worried, about, wasn't worried about being close to him, wasn't worried about talking to him, wasn't worried about what that might, people might associate him with if he's talking with the crazy, you know, cutter, screamer, tomb guy. Wasn't worried about it at all. Brought a real answer, as a matter of fact. The answer was him. Amen. Uh, I, I, don't have all the, I don't have all the answers for how we deal with the issue of, of humans 
solving problems or, peop- or, or solving people they see to be as problems by, by locking them up or pushing them away. I, I, don't, I don't have all the answers for that, but I do know that somewhere in the mix, where, where the wisdom is going to come from for us to figure out a better way on that is the same as it was here. It's going to be Jesus and his gospel. That's got to be our starting point in trying to figure out how we do better on that. Amen. Amen. So that's, we had Satan pushing on this guy. We had society pushing on this guy. But thankfully, Jesus showed up and pushed on him a little bit. The Savior showed up. Amen. And so what, what, what this guy needed was, was not to be, to be pushed away, was not to be locked up. What he needed was deliverance, which is, again, it's not a word, especially, you know, <clears throat> especially... I'm trying to think of how to say this in, in a way that doesn't offend everybody, but I guess okay, it's okay. We'll just offend everybody. You know, there's there's certain there's certain church traditions, man, where, where even when I say the word deliverance, it it conjures up for them an idea of 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 certain things that, that don't certain really good words get thrown away because they get used wrong. Or, or, or people, they manifest in a, and people say, oh, that's what, this, that's what deliverance is. This is deliverance ministry right here. And because there's a, like a kooky example of it, then people are like, oh, I don't want, no, not deliverance. Well, maybe, that's not maybe what it really is. Like we see what deliverance is right here. It's when the power of Christ shows up on the scene, man, and stuff that nothing else, problems nothing else was solved and he solves. Okay, that's, that's what deliverance is. When, when somebody is bound up and held down and oppressed and then they're set free, that's, that's what deliverance is. And Jesus is the one that brings it. And so we need to be okay with that word. So if, if you heard me say deliverance and you started to get a little nervous because you, you know, you, you come from a church tradition where you, you know, man, those, there's, there's people cra- do those crazy, you know, healings and all that type of stuff, and you think all that's too far out there, well, man, this, this is a problematic set of texts then, if that's where you're at. The Holy Spirit is still at work today. Uh, and at the, at the risk of sounding overly charismatic, man, I'm just going to preach these verses the way they are. And I'm going to let them call us to what I think they're calling us to, which is to be agents of deliverance in this world. Because part of what it means to be the light of the world as followers of Jesus is that we bring deliverance to those trapped in darkness. We are supposed to take the torch from Jesus and continue what he was doing. And now he's doing it through us. Let's keep it, let's keep it straight so we don't get it twisted. We are just a candle. He is the flame, right? We, we have very little use and or utility Unless the Spirit of God ignites us. But once he does, his purpose then is not to stick us under a basket or hide us under a bed. But for us to go out and to exert a pushback on darkness. Which will often come in the form of deliverance. If you're, un, if you're unsure about what I'm saying, let me, so I'm going to jump forward. We're going to cheat. And go all the way to the end of the book of Mark. I'm going to give you a sneak peek of where we're headed, okay? This is the last set of verses towards the end of the book of Mark. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. And we're going to, we'll see this again around about Easter time. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. It's eleven now, right? Because Judas is out. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Boy, I don't ever want to be on that end of a talk with Jesus. Can, can I read that again? And, and will you let me know if you care or not about this? He reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. I'd rather not have that conversation with the Savior. Because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. 
Now, I'm not going to overcorrect and say that everything Jesus listed here that everybody has to do, because Paul teaches very clearly later on that there are different gifts the Holy Spirit gives as he wills, okay? But, but what, I, what I do want to call our attention to is this reality that part of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to carry the very essence and power of Jesus because his spirit dwells in us into the places where we go. And so I just, I want to know what happens when, if you imagine, have you ever let your imagination run to, what would happen if you run into a man among the tombs? Or have you insulated your life to the fact, to the point where you never will, so you don't have to worry about it? That's where you go, mm. He got me. Isn't that... Or, or if we see somebody in a condition that could, there could... The forces of darkness literally could be oppressing this person and holding them down. Do, do we just quickly dismiss it to some natural causation? It's like, well, that's not my department. Someone else will have to deal with that. I don't know. All I'm saying is... <laughs> These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they'll cast out demons, speak with new tongues, they'll pick up serpents, they'll drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. What I'm trying to do today, I, some, it's, this is awesome. I can feel the energy in the room. I don't know if you guys know that. I actually can. I'm enough of a, uh, I have enough empathy to realize how nervous people are in the room right now. This is awesome, actually. What I wanted to do was get under your skin and get you woke up a little bit, make a bunch of you nervous, like, hold on, man, he sounds like a charismatic. And then, and then some of you are like, hold on, man, well, I don't know if that's charismatic enough. That's what, I want to rile everybody up. I want everybody uncomfortable and everybody nervous so I know that you're listening. Because really what I want to do is I just want to call you to care about this. I just want to call you right now to think and to really consider, do I want more of what Jesus describes in Mark that his followers are going to be doing in the world? Do I want more of that to happen in my life? Or literally, would I rather Jesus just leave me alone so I can sit and do my own little thing in the corner and not be bothered? Which is it? Because here's, here's what I want to do, right in the middle of this sermon, as charismatic as this might seem and as freaky as this might seem, I want, I, if you're somebody that cares more about having the very anointing and spirit and power of Christ evident in your life and having the ability and the power to walk into situations where people are oppressed, held down and need deliverance and that you could be used by God to bring help and deliverance to them, if you care about that and you want more of that in your life, I want you to be bold enough right now to raise your hand in the air and say, I want more of that. My hand's going to be in the air first. Somebody beat me to it, gosh darn it. But I do, man. I want more of that in my life. So let's, if that's you, and don't, don't, don't pretend, man. If you're not there yet, if you're nervous, if I have you so freaked out right now, you're like, God, I hope nobody sees me when I run for the door. But the first thing I would just ask you is, if that's where you're at, just give us a chance. Come talk to me afterwards. It's not always like this. But these verses today got me going, man. And then they sang that song in the worship and just, here we are, okay? But, but if, you, if, if, you, if this is much, much different than what you think should be said or done in church, just, just give us a chance to explain. Because nothing I'm saying and nothing we're doing has, is outside of, of biblical orthodoxy at all. And we will always stay within those safe boundaries, Okay? We are Bible people, and we're not going to be doing a bunch of goofy stuff that, that Jesus wouldn't really ask us to do. But what I do want to do right now is those of you that care about this, I want you to, let's pray together right now in the middle of the sermon. We're jacking the whole order up. We're going to ask for more anointing in our life like this. Because, I, man, if I walk into a room or I step onto a street where someone is tormented by the powers of darkness, I want to walk in enough anointing in Christ that I can help them, man. That he can help them through me. I'm just a dumb candle made of wax and, and with a little string in the middle. I'm nothing, but I, I want to be available for the flame of his power to ignite me, that the, I can bring light into that dark situation, man. So that people may be free. You don't have to live among the tombs all isolated screaming out and, and, and cutting yourself and hating yourself and everything that comes along with it. So let's pray. If you're, if you're with me in this, let's pray. If not, just bow your head and, and come talk to me afterwards. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you for these verses. Thank you for this push you're giving to us this morning. God, 
we see, we see the anointing of Christ. We see that he walks up with no fear. We see that he walks up full of bold love for this man. That he's not afraid of the demonic because he knows who he is. God, may we not be afraid of the demonic because we know who you are and that you are in us. Lord, may we not go, may we not go into the error of others thinking that somehow we are little gods, that, that, that somehow we are the reason why demons are going to shudder. Lord, that's never the case. It's you. But Lord, you will use us as vessels to take your presence and your power into situations and to cross paths with people that need to encounter the deliverance that comes in you alone. So Lord, please help us. Help us to cultivate and to walk in that anointing. Help us know what, what, what are things in our life that are standing in the way of that, that we may throw them away and put them to death and, and whatever's necessary. God, we want to walk. We want to walk in this kind of anointing, in this kind of power. Not so that anyone would know our name, but that so your great name would be made famous even more so. And that those who are hurting can find help, real help. Because we understand the forces of darkness are real. And you're the only one that can deliver. We love you, Master. Please help us in this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. See, that tricks all the people that, that at the, they, they wait. They'll listen to the sermon, but then I start praying at the end and they turn the thing off. <laughs> Got them. All right. So I told you we're going to talk about three pushes. Now we're going to talk about three prayers we see here. Okay, the first one is actually a prayer by the demons. You didn't know demons could pray, did you? Interesting, they do. They they know who they're dealing with. That's real interesting as well. But let's look at uh, let's look at verse twelve here in chapter five. What do the demon the demons implored him? So, so who are they talking to? Jesus, right, guys? Down in kids' discipleship, the kids know if they say if they ask a question. In kids' discipleship, the kids know 90% of the time if they say Jesus, they're going to be right. So just, if you don't know, go ahead. Just yell Jesus. You'll probably be okay. All right. Yes, the demons are talking. What are they doing? They're talking to Jesus. It says they implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And then Jesus gave them permission. Okay, so we see the demons here knowing who they're dealing with, that he has the authority to determine whether they get cast. So in Matthew and Luke, there's a little bit more banter there. Talks, they talk about not wanting to be cast into the abyss, basically put, put in, in a neutral spot. They would rather go into the swine. And Jesus grants that. So these demons literally are, you know, and we see this in the book of Job as well, that there is, Satan is the God little g of this world, but he's not doing anything. He doesn't get away with anything that doesn't pass through the master's hands as a filter. And so and everything he tries to do, which I, you got to be so blinded by pride and stupidity to even keep going, because everything he does, God turns it around and works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I would think, like, if I was the devil, I would think I would getting just getting trounced by God at every turn, like forever. I I don't I don't think I could have lasted this long. I don't think I have that kind of endurance, but he has somehow. But what this, what this does, this whole thing, the fact that the demons ask Jesus to let them go into the swine, it reveals something to us. And again, we don't, let's keep C.S. Lewis in mind. We don't want to have an inordinate obsession with demons and or what they do or don't do. That's not, that's not the focus or the point of why the Bible says what it says about the forces of darkness. So we don't want to have an a, a inordinate <clears throat> fixation upon those things. But the Bible does say that we should understand the devil's schemes that we should be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And, and there's something revealing here I think it's helpful for us to see. I n almost never have movie quotes in a sermon. You're getting two today. I don't know what happened. So, <laughs> but there's, I think this idea that I'm trying to get at is, is really, it, it, it's well illustrated by a quote from the Joker. You know, Heath Led when Heath Ledger played the Joker, which most, most of you have probably seen that because it's pretty prolific. Or at least, you know, know that it happened, but Heath Ledger's Joker got into some deep, deep type stuff. And, and this, this is one thing he said. And I, I think it, it's just, it's going to show us something about the way the forces of darkness operate. He says, do I really look like a guy with a plan? He said, you know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. And that's, 
a lot of times, I get stuck in this a lot. When I see like evil things happening or people doing really evil stuff, a lot of times I get stuck in this, this place where I'm trying to rationalize, like what in the Sam Hades are they thinking? Where is the logic in this? And it's like, I have to realize that's a total waste of my time. There is no logic. These demons are so stupid. They have so little of a plan. They looked ahead 14 seconds to, well, send us to the pigs and send it to the abyss. And then what happened? Into the sea and they drowned. What? That kind of shows you where Satan is at. So ate up. With, with, and and his, his cohorts, are, they're just so ate up that they're just doing evil. And, and that's the thing. God's the one with the master plan, right? I, I don't want to underemphasize the, the influence and power that Satan can have to deceive. He is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible warns us about him for a reason. But on the other hand, and, and maybe, this, maybe this is tied into me hoping you leave here less scared of, of the forces of darkness than, than you came in. That's not someone I'm real worried about. <laughs> That's, you, you're planning the total of 10 seconds ahead of time, and, and that goes bad, right? And that, I think the Joker said it well. Do I look, I, I'm like a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with I, with I, if I caught it. And that's why evil so many times does, it is perplexing. It doesn't make any sense. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. There is no sense to be made of it. It's just chaos. And that's another reason why we know the master planner and the grand weaver is going to win. Let me tell you what, he's got a plan. And if Satan and all his cohorts are playing checkers, man, God's playing 4D chess. Trust and believe in that. Okay, uh, so you had the demon's prayer. You had the townspeople. They pray uh, here. Verse 17, they're talking to Jesus, and they begin to implore him to leave their region. These people were fools for asking the Son of God and the Savior of the world to leave their region because they didn't want their businesses disrupted. That's really what it came down to. These guys were freaked out because this giant herd of swine just drowned itself, and that meant a bunch of, that meant whoever owned that lost money. And so these guys, they're looking at, they see all the factors. They see these, these guys that were just absolutely overcome. With, with demonic activity, run around naked in the tombs, screaming and cutting themselves. They see those guys sitting there in their right mind, clothed, so they understand what's happened. They understand that that, that what happened with the swine was the fact that those guys were set free and then, and then, the, and then the demons that were in them went to the swine. They understand what happened. But because of what their focus is on, they would, so they know Jesus has the power to deliver. You think, you think this, these two guys are the only ones that could use some help from God in all of these 10 Gentile cities? No, I doubt it. But they literally made the wager of, okay, well, if he keeps delivering people or he keeps doing this kind of stuff, a bunch of us are going to lose more business. And they make the choice to say, leave. It's a poor, that's a real poor choice. I think Jesus clearly shows us here with what happens with the pigs that what his prior, priorities are when it comes to people versus prophets. Uh, Jesus makes pretty clear where he stands. Now, I say that and I mean it with the full force and intent that it came out of my mouth, but on the other hand, I want to make sure we call this out because I've seen, I've seen people, primarily online, using these verses to justify some of the looting that we've seen in recent riots, as well as Jesus flipping tables. Well, see, Jesus cares more about people than prophets, so why is anybody crying about their business being burned down? Well, Jesus had the pigs go into the, you know, they lost a bunch of money when the pigs drowned themselves, or they, they Jesus flipped tables in the, yeah, I know, I know. And let me say it again, it's clear that Jesus prioritizes people over property or profits, and we should too. Did you hear what I said? Jesus prioritizes people over property and profits, and we should too. But the Bible also instructs those of us who don't have perfect judgment, 
Who's that? Is that you? Are you sure? Everyone know that you're in that bucket? Just, just, just to help my, my tender little heart, let me hear you say, I don't have perfect judgment. Go ahead, real, so I can hear it. Okay, good. I just want to make sure everyone knows that. That's you and that's me. What does the Bible tell us that don't have perfect judgment to do? Well, it tells us not to steal pretty clearly, right? That's a big 10. Or to covet what others have. Which means the existence of personal property is not something God is against. Okay? So here's what, again, why are we in the book of Mark right now? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit instructed us to be in the book of Mark, and and it wasn't totally clear to me until, you know, the world continues to just, I'll just use a Bible word, the world around us is just groaning, man. (laughs) The the results of brokenness in this world are, are, are more and more evident, and we got people we got people, man, that, that live happy in, in a bunch of ditches on, on, on either side of these issues, grabbing a hold of Jesus and co-opting him for their purpose. And part of why we're in the book of Mark is so that we can see the real Jesus, who splits down the middle of all these partisan things that we get wrapped up in and calls us to a, a greater and a higher way. Narrow is the path that leads to life, man. There's a wide path that leads to destruction, and many will find it. It's very easy to find the news source you like the best, find the tribe you think you like the best, and learn all of their arguments and get all lathered up and de- demonize everybody else. Listen to me, man. Those people on the other side of the political aisle from you, they're not demons. There are real demons. Okay? We're reading about those. There is real evil in the world. Okay? It's not, it's not people that disagree with you. So can we quit treating them like that? Demons do need to be treated a certain way. Get out! That's how demons get treated. But that's not how we treat people. You have no place here. You have no power here. That's how demons get treated. Off, off with you to the abyss. But we don't do that with people. And demons one day will be locked up and will be isolated away from their ability to hurt or harm any of God's people. That day is coming. Amen. May we look forward to it with great excitement. The third prayer we see is the delivered man. uh, Verses 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him go. And he did not let him go. What is happening? The demons got their prayer, right? Don't send us to the abyss. Send us into the pigs. What did Jesus say? Sure. Also, you might be wondering, man, why? Why did Jesus do that? Well, he doesn't tell us. So if we try to guess a whole lot, we can get in trouble. But it's, I think it's pretty obvious right on the surface level. You know, were, were, would people there be doubting whether there was really demons involved? Were people there thinking, oh, well, these guys are just weird or they just have a mental illness or whatever? Well, it's pretty clear when Legion, whatever that means, says, can we go in the pigs? And Jesus says, okay. And then, and then boom, these, the, the guy's delivered and the herd of swine goes and just commits suicide in the sea. It's pre- pretty clear that a real miracle's happened here. Jesus liked to do miracles that were verifiable. You might say, oh man, well, 2,000 pigs for a miracle to be verified? Well, well yes, Jesus prioritizes, prioritizes people over property. And also people over animals. And for those of you that that offends, I'm sorry, but that is just the reality. It's pretty clear here. Doesn't mean we should be unnecessarily mean to animals or whatever. Proverbs talks about that very plainly. Uh, we should be good stewards of all the gifts God's given us on the earth, including animals. But anyways, I dealt with that more in the one a few years ago, so... If you're mad at me right now, go listen to that one. I did a better job there. Uh, <laughs> can't say everything every time, right? Amen. So the demons got their prayer. The townspeople got their prayer. Jesus went ahead and left. But then the one guy that has like a good prayer, let me come with you. Master, what does he say? Nah. No, you don't get to. He did not let him. What, what, what did he do? He said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Friends, each one of us, as we sit here 
either, <clears throat> we either are or were one of two people in this, in this deal. We either are the man in the tombs or we were the man in the tombs or we are or we were the townspeople. And what do I mean when I say that? Before Christ, some of us, it was very obvious we needed him. <laughs> People looked at me and like, ooh, yeah, that guy needs Jesus. Okay. Some people are more like the townsfolk. That they're, everyone would think they're basically okay and they're, they're, they feel a lot better than the people that obviously need a touch from Jesus. Um, but here's what's really interesting. It, it, was, it was the madman among the tombs that ended up actually receiving what Jesus had to give. The townspeople didn't. Here's the beauty, though. Jesus wasn't done with all the people in the Decapolis. He didn't just say, oh, so you guys want me to leave? Okay. Done with you. What did he do? No. He had the guy that was delivered stay for what reason? To go share with all those people over and over again, tell the story over and over again, talk to them about how deep that darkness really was to testify of the great power and goodness of Christ. Amen. The point is we all need Jesus whether we know it or not. If, if, if you today are somebody that, if you have not come to faith in Christ, you're either like the man in the tombs or you are like the townspeople. And friend, either way, you need Christ. If you have come to faith in Christ today, you either were the man in the tombs or you are a townsperson. And, and here's the thing, what he called the delivered guy to do, he's also called you to do, right? Because if you have, if you have been set free, if you have been delivered from the bounds of darkness and from sin and, and, and its enslavement, then friends, we are all then called to do the exact same thing Jesus sent this guy to do. What does it say? To go and proclaim what great things Jesus has done. And this, this right here, what he does with this guy, it's really a reflection of what he would then do with all of us. Let me, let me read. So this guy gets delivered. Master, let me come with you. No, you're not going to come with me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, in t go, go to your home first, go to where people know you, knew how jacked up you were, and go tell them and show them what I have done for you. Right? Go tell everybody about it. He does that with one person, but then what does he do at the end of Mark? I'm going to read it to you again. He says, he who has believed and been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. What he, so he, 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 he gets on them about their unbelief. And then in verse 15, he says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You either were the man among the tombs or you were one of those townsfolk. Or you are today, wherever you stand. If you need to surrender to Jesus, friend, today, today can be the day, right now in this moment. It comes strictly down to will you trust Jesus? That's all it is. You don't have to clean yourself up first. This guy among the tombs, he wasn't going to get himself right before Jesus, before he got on his knees in front of Jesus. <laughs> it was only getting worse. And we see, we see ultimately the, the plan of Satan. You know, the Bible talks about sin being fun for a season. And we, what is Satan always up to and this and that? When, when those demons went from that man to that herd of swine, we saw accelerated what Satan is trying to do with every image bearer of God. He, that instantly, when it went from human to swine, those pigs just went nuts and destroyed themselves. That is the same thing Satan is trying to do with every image bearer of God. The, the process was delayed because that man among the tombs was an image bearer of God. But we see, we see an accelerated, like, just smash the gas. That's what Satan is trying to do with everybody. And so our, our, our hearts must be full of love and gratitude towards Christ, and our, our hearts should be full uh, of, of love-motivated boldness to share with others where freedom from that kind of mess comes from. It's from Jesus alone. Amen. May he anoint us to those ends. May he help us to uh, 
go proclaim what great things, what great things he's done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for uh, these verses. Thank you, God, uh, that you, you go to the marginalized. You'll reach out and you'll touch the one no one else will touch. Thank you, Lord, that you did that for me and for many of us. Those that, that would have been considered hopeless, just throw them away. They're done. Thank you, God. That's never your position. That's never how you treat us. Thank you, Lord, not only do you deliver us because you love us, each one of us, but you always deliver us for a purpose. You draft us in and draw us into this great and glorious commission, this, this mission of bringing others the good news that there's hope in you. Lord, I, I pray over this congregation. I pray over those who are joining by live stream, each of them whose hearts have been stirred, who understand that because you dwell in us now, that we are the New Testament temple of your Holy Spirit, that what you've called us to is to take light into the world and to push back against darkness. Lord, I, I'm not going to go out looking for interactions with demons, but Father, I don't want to be scared of that. I don't want to run from that. If there, if there be someone who is troubled and who has been oppressed or possessed, and God, you see fit to have them intersect with me and that you use me as a vessel of your power to bring light and hope and deliverance to them, God, then I say, here I am. God, I ask that you would, you would do that, uh, you would stir that, that kind of tenacity in, in each one of us, those who, within the sound of my voice, desire it. And Lord, we just want opportunities more and more to show the great things that you've done for us, to preach the great things that you've done for us, to speak of how wonderful and holy and good and loving and merciful you are. We magnify you and we exalt you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www dot mylovecitychurch dot org